This week's episode is brought to you by Main Street Windows, a complete guide to Disney's whimsical tributes by Jeff Heinbuck. Whoever that is, get it today from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. Or buy a signed copy from OrchardHillPress.com. Welcome to season three. Hello, and welcome to Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show and home of the world's first pair of independently born identical twins. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. And this is going to be known as the episode where I'm really sad because there's the hist or the trip report, which I did not go to, so I'll be sad. <laughs> and then George and his son are going to do a review. And I'm going to be sad because I didn't get a chance to play what they're reviewing. So I'm a sad panda. It's like a double sad. It is a double sad for me, guys. Does a double sad make a positive? Um, I don't math well, so <laughs> I'm not sure. 152. <laughs> okay, you could, yeah, you could say something else. <laughs> All right, so let, let's, let's 152 move 152 to the 32nd power? Uh, right. Can I use a calculator? Can I call a friend? Can I call George? Uh, George? To call me. <laughs> George, what's the answer to your son's question? He's gonna, the answer is he's going to be grounded if he asks more questions nope. like that. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. So before he's grounded, we should probably move on with the rest of the show. So while George and I did not get to go to the spectacular D23 weekend that happened recently at Walt Disney World, um, yes, George's crying. I can hear it already. (laughs) Uh, A few months before it happened, we received an email from our friend Michelle, a.k.a. Minnesota Mini on Twitter, offering to come on and talk about it uh, after it happened. And we have her on now so she can tell us all about it and make us super, super jealous that we did not get to go. She's here right now? No, she is. I didn't tell you. There she is. <laughs> Thank you for coming on, Michelle. We appreciate it. So, um, tell us, tell us a little bit about the weekend overall. What, what was the the focus of this D twenty three event? Sure. So, um, this was attraction rewind. That was the subtitle, um, and it was it was very oddly split into two days that were not terribly connected, um, but they were both interesting. <laughs> so, uh, day one was focused on the 1964 and 1965 World's Fair, um, which I've been eagerly following along this year, so you guys have been kind of ramping us up. Hooray! <laughs> and then uh, day two was, as many people would just refer to it, theme parks. Um, so Is that what was, they called it? <laughs> well, that was what everyone's like, oh, are you excited for the uh, World's Fair or the theme parks part. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it was a little less curated. Um, it was still interesting. It was looking more at attractions and things that have uh, gone gone bye bye in the last few years. And so then the things we miss. Yeah, um, and then some new things that we can get excited about. Are are you excited about new things? Uh, yeah, well, it... Well, that sounded very enthusiastic, Michelle. (laughs) I'm not sure I believe you any longer. 
So, so day one was really well curated. Um, day one, all of the um, components, the, you know, the different panels um, were, were put together in a very logical manner and then um, culminated with our Tomorrowland um, movie screener that we had, which at, at, the, at the beginning of it seemed um, a little bit disconnected. And then as it kind of went through, you realize that they're talking about and highlighting all the little bits that we had learned about earlier in the day. So it, wow. it was this really smart cap off of the whole day. That's actually pretty um, neat. It yeah. was, it was, it was a great kind of reminder too of like, oh, that's right, we already covered that and we talked about that, that was really neat. Um, day two, as I said, was a little bit more disconnected. Um, so it was um, looking at some things that had already gone away and then some things that are new um, that have memories of the past uh, and, and the order of them was a little strange. Um, day one was just so fluid that maybe that day two couldn't live up to it, I guess. Fair enough. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, all right. So let's go back to day one, uh, mostly because I am totally obsessed with the 1964, 65 mm -hmm. World's Fair. Um, so what kind of panels did they have throughout the day? Like who did they have talking and what, what were they talking about? Um, well, we opened with um, Bill Cotter, and he brought in beautiful photos of just looking at um, the New York World's Fair so that we could kind of get a scope and um, an understanding of, of what led to its development, what led to World's Fairs, um, what was developed and get in a layout, which was really helpful for the rest of the day to understand where things were. Um, having already looked at things about the World's Fair, it this only added to it more. Um, I thought I understood it before, and I did not now that I've seen the books. He's got and, a pretty impressive collection of things. Yes, and he, you know, yeah. plugging his site, worldsfairsphotos.com. Yes, um, yes, excellent site. It's just uh, wonderful. I would say that my favorite photo from the day was definitely um, looking at the group phones uh, that you could, these phone booths where mm -hmm. the photo was a, a perhaps a couple having um, some intimate time together, making out, maybe. <laughs> in, the, in the phone booth. In the phone booth, gotcha. um, as well as the video phones. And uh, my little fun fact about the video phones, this is not covered at the Destination D, um, my mom actually went to Disneyland um, this same year, and she went to Tomorrowland and did a video phone to the New York World's Fair. That's or awesome. Or perhaps the Seattle World's Fair. Her memory's a little sketchy. I'm assuming it's probably the New York one because that's the only one I've heard where they had the video phone. So she was FaceTiming before FaceTiming was she a was. thing. That's yes. insane. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That's mm -hmm. pretty cool. It's so, amazing how they kind of predicted the future in a lot of ways with, you know, <laughs> 50 years ago. It's insane to think about but, that. But no one could have predicted Communicore Weekly. <laughs> No, no one expects the Spanish Inquisition either. So <laughs> no, I mean, it no. goes both ways. No, or the whatsoever. <laughs> or the yeah, was, yeah, no kidding. Uh, so I was really excited to uh, hear about Bill Cotter, you know, and everything he had done because his books are amazing. Uh, did you learn anything else cool during the uh, World's Fair day? Yeah, we we looked at um, some parts. We then kind of went specifically into the, each of the attractions that Disney was. Um, a part of, and then looked at, you know, in those each of those segments, how did they get through from concept development into implementation? And there was a lot of things that were revealed about the implementation um, that was surprising, and uh, about some of the struggles that they had with, major, you know, their major corporations that they had a partner with, um, as well as sort of how slapdashery some of the things <laughs> <laughs> just kind of 
what happened? And we're up there on a wing and a prayer. And but that's how things get done. That is how things get done. That's how the world turns. Um, so, yeah, I guess some of the, my favorite parts were uh, definitely listening to um, Marty Scalar and um, Bob Gurr uh, sort of doing their for lack of a better term, doing their Bing, Ho uh, Bing and Crosby, uh, <laughs> uh, Bob Hope impression. Uh, they they were quite obtusive, and they brought the house down. Wow. Bob, uh, you know, having seen the two of them interact together uh, many times, I know absolutely what you're talking about, and that's hilarious. I mean, you put the, a mic in front of the two of them and let them go, and it's going to be a great show regardless of what they're talking about. I mean, many of us said that we felt like our money's worth was given to us in, in, in that one panel alone. <laughs> uh, they had all sorts of technology issues and um, rebelled against it in very adorable old man ways. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> um, I also would say that some of the other highlights, um, well, was Bill Sullivan, Sully, um, and his mm -hmm. spectacular mustache. Um, mm -hmm. He took a little bit more to get... Uh, information out of him, you could tell the difference between those that were comfortable with presenting and those that, you know, have, uh, are proficient in their job but don't necessarily know what an audience is looking for or or what uh, an interview is trying to get out of them. Mm -hmm. um, so he had some really uh, great moments but it was a little more um, difficult. And the real disappointment of the day was that we found out at the beginning of the day that Alice Davis, who was scheduled to attend, um, was not able to come due to um, uh, medical reasons, oh, hmm. uh, and so that was that was disappointing. We had a substitute instead of uh, Tim O'Day, so okay. that was surprising. <laughs> 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 um, the disappointing thing was really just the fact that uh, it must have been a very last-minute substitution um, because Tim O'Day did not have any sense of the material that was trying to be covered. Mm. So we saw photos that were part of Alice's presentation of uh, her costume renderings for It's a Small World Dolls, but he <laughs> was not able to identify what they were from. Was so he by himself? That's a, that's a dress. Yes. Um, that's a uh, well, shoe. We, that is exactly what we got. Uh, <laughs> this is a little boy from someplace in South America. <laughs> this, is a this is a little girl from an Asian country. <laughs> Uh, I, I kind of find that hilarious. I would have loved to have seen that presentation, yeah. to be honest with you. The crowd really uh, turned <laughs> at that time. Mm. Um, but we did get some really lovely videos um, from Alice that she pre-recorded. Oh, that's good. So that was really touching. We also were lucky enough that because this event was rescheduled, it was initially supposed to be scheduled in the summertime, um, some of us were smart and did not book plane tickets until they actually... <laughs> released the tickets to the event. They moved uh, the event to yeah. November. It was actually uh, scheduled during the weekend of Comic-Con, wasn't it? Yes. San Diego Comic-Con? It was. People were very upset about that. Yes. Um, and by moving it to November, we gained some more people because of IAPA was happening in Orlando that same week. So we oh, had... So we had a video recording. We did not get him live, but we got a video recording of Mr. Sherman. Um, and it was actually an IAPA recording that they were doing for posterity, talking about some of his song processes and about um, Walt being a leader and, and how his leadership skills were, um, which I know many of us started to tear up at uh, <laughs> some of his touching 
these really touching words about how how Walt was a motivator and and how um, he could get you to do the best work that you could do. That's awesome. Oh, sure. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. Seeing seeing him perform live at the Destination D forty one in two thousand eleven was amazing. That was unbelievable. But that enough about me. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> We've already heard that trip report. I know. George. We've heard enough. I want to hear more about so. so I was, was going to say, yes. Yeah, so how did that day, you know, cap off at the end with the Tomorrowland stuff? Yeah, so we ended with, um, look, we saw a video clip of, of Tomorrowland. Um, and before that even happened, you started to see a presence in the room a lot more of um, perhaps monitors or security agents of some sort. Interesting. Um, I think that they were concerned about uh, photography. So we had the art director from the Tomorrowland film come out. Um, he showed us first a clip. Um, it was not a trailer. People were very confused um, about the content of the clip. Um, if this was reflective of what the storyline was going to be or about the direction of the film. It did not involve any of the people that we've seen so far. It involved um, a little boy and um, a young lady who looked like she might be Sorcy Rosen, the um, Irish ex actress. Mm, interesting. Um, and they were at the New York World's Fair. So we follow him on his path through the World's Fair, um, seeing different attractions, and then he goes on It's a Small World, and there's a, uh, a plot point that happens, which if you followed The Optimist, you would already have an idea that he um, is able to then uh, transfer to another location or world or time. Another land, if you will. Land, if you will, yes. <laughs> Perhaps not to give anything away. Mm -hmm. Communicor Weekly Land. Uh, no? I don't know if he's oh. anyone's going to want to visit that land, George. <laughs> so people were very confused in the audience of, of what their reaction was about this. Um, as I said, we weren't sure whether or not this was a clip or if this was a trailer. Um, but what was really interesting is that then the art director went through and he went piece by piece um, how they recreated the World's Fair, which then looked at all the elements that we had already seen that day from um, you know the main photographs of when he contacted um, Bill Cotter and, and, and looked at that same research and how his research team had to bring that down to manageable sizes and how they then um, sought locations that were going to be a good uh, match and what they were going to do in post versus what they were going to try to do practical um, as well as deciding then looking at each of the attractions. Okay, what attractions are we gonna feature? What were the big things happening? And so we kind of went through those same things that we had gone through earlier in the day. Uh, it was interesting, there was one uh, kind of controversial statement that happened uh, when he mentioned uh, Brad Bird was really uh, pushing to try to do as much filming in Florida since some unknown key elements are happening in Florida that they had to be filmed there. At the Carousel of Progress, I'm assuming? Uh, we, we, that was not covered, and some of us were very <laughs> upset. Interesting. So we did, yes. So we saw a small world. We saw many uh, other elements. They did not uh, address at any point the use of the Carousel of Progress. Mm. Other than the little boy, we, he, we do see him in uh, the theater sitting there for just a brief moment. Mm -hmm. But when we're going through piece by piece, it doesn't come up again. Almost like they skipped over it. Interesting. Yeah. They, so they did it on purpose. I'm very curious to see what It felt like about. it was. It yeah. felt like a, a very glaring omission. Um, but what also happened was uh, Brad Bird had made a comment to the art director that since he was in Orlando and he watched 
uh, Carousel Progress, he then wanted to include it in their story. Hmm. And some people interpreted that to mean that Brad, it was the Brad Bird's first time ever seeing the Carousel Progress. Um, I've seen other interviews where he's mentioned that he ha had been a fan of it when he was younger, um, when it was still in Disneyland. Um, and so I'm assuming this was a revisiting of Carousel Progress, but it did get a lot of hubbub. Interesting. Mm. Interesting. <laughs> Our interview with Michelle went a little bit longer than we expected, so if you want to hear the rest of it, be sure to tune into next week's episode, episode 153, to hear about all about the second day of the D23 Attraction Rewind Weekend. He's a nerd, he's a geek, but we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his speech. It's George's Book of the Week. This week's book is Disney During World War II, How the Walt Disney Studio Contributed to Victory in the War by John Baxter. And this is a relatively new book published in 2014, and a lot of people were excited about it. And I, for one, was excited about it as well. And I did use that in the past tense on purpose. Uh, we got our review copies, and I started reading through it and just found myself being drawn to other things in life instead of sticking with this one. But I guess before we get into it, we should probably talk a little bit more about the book itself. This was uh, written by John Baxter, and it sort of looks at pretty much everything that Walt Disney and the Disney Studios did during World War II. Uh, as most cadets will probably know that production was pretty much halted. The uh, army took over the studio, more or less, and they weren't able to do their normal production. So they started doing training films and propaganda films, designing insignias and other things like that to help keep the money coming in. Uh, not that Walt was being a war profiteer at all, but he knew he needed some way to keep everybody employed. Uh, so basically this book covers all that. <laughs> I also, I kind of thought it was interesting how, you know, again, he he's the one that approached the government to begin with yes. uh, to make these things and um, to keep, again, like you said, to keep his employees uh, employed. And in a roundabout way, it also helped to keep about a third of his studio off the front lines since they were already helping the war effort so they wouldn't have to be sent to war. So I found that pretty interesting uh, ov overall. But uh, like you said about the book itself, I was kind of distracted while reading it. <laughs> yeah, the, the book has got uh, five different sections. The first one is the training films. Second section is propaganda. Then the entertainment shorts. The, the fourth chapter is military, well, section is military insignia. And the last one is gremlins. And, you know, I know a lot about that time period. I've read a lot about it. I've read a lot of different material on it. But something about the book just didn't keep my interest. I didn't really enjoy it. And I hate it. Not I don't hate the book. I hate that I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> I was about to be like, wait, wait, wait a second. Wait, wait a That's a strong review, George. Yeah. There are tons of great photographs in there. Uh, Baxter obviously did a lot of homework. There's a lot of great historical detail. I didn't see any inaccuracies, inaccuracies anything that I disagreed with. But it was just kind of boring and rather plain, which so, really, really bothered me. I, I, you know, when I was reading it, I kind of compared it to South of the Border by J.B. Kaufman because that was a pretty heavy, thick academic tome. But mm -hmm. Kaufman still managed to find that balance between, you know, displaying... Uh, the academic facts and still keeping it entertaining for the reader and yeah. uh, while again like you said I did enjoy this book 
Um, I still felt like it, w it read more like a textbook to me than anything else. And, you know, I don't sit around reading textbooks for pleasure. I don't, somebody might, I'm not sure. but <laughs> And that's okay. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. But to me, <laughs> it wasn't, it didn't keep me engaged and engrossed about, that t about a topic that I am very interested in because yeah. um, I'm a World War II buff. And, you know, obviously combine Disney with that, I want to know more about it. So the fact that we both found ourselves kind of looking the other way when we were reading um, was disheartening, to be honest with you. Yeah, it just it just didn't keep my attention. Um, the, the, part, the, the part of the book that I really loved and I thought was the best part and really could have been a little bit longer was the last section on Gremlins, which was the, uh, the story written by Roald Dahl, we all know from uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, James and the Giant Peach. Um, he had written a short about a short story about gremlins that only aviators could see, and you, know, you can learn more about it in the book. But it, it reminded me a lot of the Tinkerbell book from two years ago and the Sleeping Beauty book that was just released this year, because it delved into the history of the area. And for some reason, that section actually had a lot of life. Um, to me, seeing how Walt Disney, the Disney organization itself, how they dealt with Roald Dahl as an outsider, and it showed how the company worked and struggled to turn this originally a feature, then it was turned into an animated short, and then they looked at a feature again, to turn into something they could use, and how they, they sort of battled with uh, Mr. Dahl about the whole film that eventually did not get made. It was kind of like a, a version of Saving Mr. Banks... Yeah, but there was no good end result. The film did not get made. <laughs> exactly, and, and you know that was a, a really that was the most interesting part of the book, and I really enjoyed it. It was the longest part of the book too, wasn't it? It was. It was. It was the longest part. I mean, there's it, there's so much to enjoy about the book. That's why I, I'm I'm sitting here reviewing it, going, ah, I don't know what's miss what it's missing. I agree. It it is sort of textbook like. It is sort of dry. The the facts were presented. I can't explain why the Gremlins, it was written, almost feels like it was written by a different person. I know it wasn't, but it feels like it. Um, it this is going to be, you know, anybody who's really interested in the time period of the Disney Studios during World War II is going to find something interesting in it. That's for sure. A lot of great photos, a lot of great photos of the studio, the personnel, working on different animated shorts. Uh, every animated, uh, all the propaganda films are broken down. The entertainment shorts uh, well, I guess we meant the training films are broken down. The propaganda shorts are covered as well in great detail. And I love reading this stuff. I should have enjoyed it. But I don't want to get us too far off task with it. Um, yeah, that's okay. Um, personally, <laughs> I like the military insignia portion. Uh, I just found mm -hmm. it really interesting how you know he Walt established the unit himself. And he offered basically free insignia to any of the U.S. Armed Forces. And they made nearly 1,300 uh, insignias, and there was a bunch that went unfulfilled uh, even after the war ended. So, like, I, I don't know. I just found that that stuff fascinating. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, the book is okay. <laughs> yeah, it, it. I guess it just missed the mark for what I really wanted it to be. Yeah. And I, you know, I've read some of other John John's other th uh, not as full length works, but I've read other stuff by him. He's a good writer. Uh, the book's written well. Uh, researched very well. Just something was missing. Uh, I'm not sure what that was, but you know, if you're into the uh, World War II era with the Disney Studios or the Insignias, or really want to learn a lot more about the animated shorts of that time, then definitely pick it up. It's a good reference material to have on hand. Um, I think it's something that you can enjoy at your own pace. You know, 
sometimes we feel like we have to read under pressure. So uh, this week's book was Disney During World War II by John Baxter. What we liked, what we didn't like, he's in the booze, 60-second review. Okay, so for this week's 60-second review, I've brought my youngest son, Sumner, onto the show, and we are talking about Disney Fantasia Music Evolved for the Xbox 360. And we got a review copy, and I have to say, uh, this game was pretty cool, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, we need a little bit more than just yes <laughs> and, and no more nodding at the microphone. And remember, so this tell, is not a visual thing. Yeah, it's not a visual podcast. So tell everybody that's listening, what is... Fantasia Music Evolved? Uh, a Disney Kinect game. Okay, so it uses the Kinect on the Xbox 360, so it tracks your movement, but what is it? Is it a first-person shooter? Is it a running game? It's a game that will embarrass you. Why will it embarrass me? <laughs> <laughs> because they have, if they've never played the game before, they'll have no idea what you're doing, and they're going to be like, why are you pointing everywhere? Okay, so it's a pointing game? Basically, no. you play music, and... Um, if you don't hit the notes, it gets quieter and... Okay, so it's like a dancing good. game where you it, have to dance along to the music. Is it like Just Dance at all? <laughs> is, yeah, is it, is, it just like, is it like Just Dance? No. Why isn't it? Because you're pointing your arms in different directions and punching the screen. Well, that's how I dance. So I guess I just sort of like Just Dance. Okay, Are there, so, is there video of this? Because I need to see George playing this game now. No, no, no. There's no video <laughs> yes, of me playing yeah, it. <laughs> okay, what do you do? It's it's not like a typical dance because you have missions you have to do, right? Uh, Yeah, for once there's actually a story. Okay, well tell us a little bit about the story, not much, just a little bit. Uh, basically, you are um, Yensid, Disney backwards. Yeah, everybody at home knows that one, so. <laughs> Yensid's uh, new apprentice. Okay. And basically you have to go through all the missions, uh, trying to collect all the stars for that. Okay, so you collect stars by dancing to the songs? There's only one song in each level, and then you beat it, and then you go into the final level. Which okay. wasn't actually the final level. Then you have to go through every single level again, but this time there's like five songs in each level. Because it gets a little bit harder, yes. a little bit more complex as you go. Very cool. So what kind of songs were there that you could... Uh, you can read Thanks off the box, that's here? fine. Don't read every single one of them, because this is a 25-minute show. police, Message in a Bottle. I yeah. love that song now, yeah. ever since I heard it. Culturing young children with good exactly. songs, all right. I think that's important. Yeah. So, so I, I think it's important to note that they're not just Disney songs, obviously. No, there aren't any Disney songs, are there? No. Really? Yeah, there are no Disney songs whatsoever. I would watch and play. It's got uh, the Gorillas, CeeLo Green, Jimi Hendrix, Elton John, MIA, MIA Bruno Mars. Uh, there's some Mozart. Oh, there's the Vivaldi. There's like three songs from Mozart. Queen, Peter Gabriel. Whoa. So, and, oh, there's one that says David Buai. What does that Where say? David, that? the sec, the one right under Avicii? David David Bo Bowie. David Bowie, who's that? You gotta be kidding me. <laughs> He's such a jerk. I know, that's the Ziggy Stardust song. Oh. You know, it, watching this was a lot of fun. And it's not like a traditional dancing game where you have to perform. You do have to perform moves, but circles will appear on the screen that you have to punch. And it's not really like the punching. Lands on the thing. Yeah, and then there are arrows you have to follow. So you are doing some dancing, but it is really like you're conducting the music like Mickey does in Fantasia, right? Yeah. It feels like you're you're conducting the music, all the different songs. You can remix the songs. Yes. Um the better you do, the louder it gets. Yes. That's part of it. 
you, but if you miss a note, that part where the note was, it'll get quieter. Okay, so it's like you've got to make sure everybody can hear it and everybody can enjoy it. Does it ever record what you do, like the, the video of you? Uh, no, it doesn't take a video of you, but it records what the screen is, so you can like watch how you did on your performance. Okay, you interesting. Watch yeah. it. Well, what was your favorite song to perform? Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I know what song it is. What, what was your favorite song in the whole game? Did you, which one did you like playing the most? Mm. And this is what it's like getting his homework done. Every <laughs> Xbox Live? Yes. But we, I'm glad you've had this game for like two weeks and just now noticed Xbox Live. Okay, so, well, let's move on. What, uh, who's going to like this game? Who's going to enjoy it? Is this, for, is this for girls, for boys, for grown-ups, for teens, for senior citizens? Really for any type of gender. Gender. Okay, good. <laughs> that's okay, that's important. So you think anybody, Disney fans, music fans, because it's a little bit different of a music game, but you liked it, right? Yes. So you think people should buy it and people should play it? If you've never played Just Dance, go get the game right now. Get Just Dance or get this one? Probably this one, because it's oh, kind of easier. Fantasia Music Evolved. Well, that's good to know that it's easier. Okay. Well, I think we've spent more than our allotted four minutes <laughs> for the review, so... <laughs> Sumner, thanks so much for coming on and yeah. sharing your thoughts on Disney Fantasia Music Evolved. And maybe we need to fly out to California so Jeff can play this. Sumner, I fully expect a video of your father playing this game at some point in the future, so get on that. Okay. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat. Did you know that back in 1988, the Walt Disney Company actually owned the lease on the Queen Mary, uh, the majestic ocean liner that is now permanently docked in Long Beach, California? And though they gave up the lease in 1992, they originally wanted to turn their location into a tourist destination and a theme park called Disney Sea, based Ooh. around the oceans of the world. Um, obviously, that didn't happen, and they eventually <laughs> went on to make a park called Disney Sea in Tokyo, which, uh, you know, if you want to send this to, totally donate to the Communicor Weekly Disney Sea Fund. <laughs> um, but back to the Queen Mary. Now, much like the ghosts that still haunt the ship, you can still see lingering remnants of Disney's presence. Um, there's actually quite a few garbage cans uh, direct from New Orleans Square, located in various parts of the stern of the ship, and that is in the back end for all you land lovers out there. Like Glad you explained that because I was getting ready to have to look it up on Wikipedia. And I knew, go, I knew it. That's why which, I added it in for you. Which I know, starboard and port. I usually have to it. put my hands up in front of my face to determine my left from my right, but I can tell yeah. all my boat directions for some reason. Yeah, I was going to talk to Martina about getting you shoes for Christmas. They had a big L and a big R on the. Uh, already, on already the, done. Oh, good, good. Okay, well, all right. Guess there's not much else we can say. Yeah. Uh, Thank you guys so much for watching and listening to another episode. Yes, please leave us a comment and give us a rating on iTunes. Yep, you can email us at communicorweekly at gmail.com. And don't forget, we're still looking for your names, your birthday, and your mailing address for something special. Mm-hmm. And of course, like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash communicorweekly, where we have fun there every single day. <laughs> and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Imaginerity, and he's at Jeff Heimbuck. Of course, give us a call on the Communicore Weekly Goat Line at 424-785-4628 and leave us a voicemail. So did you grow up wearing mouse ears? That was sort of rhetorical anyway. Uh, you can pick up a copy of Communicore Weekly the Musical 
on Spotify and Google Play for free. Actually, she just said listen to it for free. Or you can buy it on Amazon, CD Baby, or iTunes. And if you don't know how to get a hold of that stuff, visit the Communa store at communacruelty.com. <laughs> Click on the store link. We can bring it to the musical. You can buy some great shirts. It'll be a great time. Show your Communicore pride. So for Jeff Heimbuck, I'm George Taylor. And for George Taylor, I'm Jeff Heimbuck. Thanks so much for listening, guys and gals. We'll see you next time on Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show. One baby